Hello, Horror Fanatics! I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! The Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address, oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can also reach uh, our website, ohthehorrorpodcast.com, for any uh, new releases on episodes or listen to old ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, our social media address, or our social media sites and Mm -hmm. contacts and whatnot. Good times. Yeah, good times. How you doing? Not too bad, actually. I had two days of nail mail, so that was cool. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like to get presents in the mail? I checked off a nice box for me. You sure did. I got my own bonsai tree. You did. Yeah, I've wanted one of those forever. Yes, and yes, you have. And there's also some big news. Yeah. We're in the studio. We are. We're not done yet. No. We still got uh, some, some sound treatment things to deal with, so you're going to hear some extra noises. But but we're in here. We have a designated space where we well can just done. come in and record, and well done. We don't have to set up, tear we down. We should have set up, prepared and had a round of applause for you. Yeah, yeah. So that we can cue. That's all right. I can golf clap. Golf clap. Yeah, a little bit. <sighs> should we do? You know some... what we should have done? I should have had like a jock jam. You know? <laughs> Yeah, or the uh, hockey goal. <laughs> you know. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all good. All good choices. Well, we got a uh, we got a cool topic today. We got a big topic today. Yeah. So a disclaimer to everyone: we're gonna apologize in advance if we uh, miss some items. Oh, there will um, be items to be missed. Missed and skipped because we only have yeah. so much time, and unfortunately, we couldn't get into everything and every single person. No. But with that being said, we're doing the Mothman today. We are. Yeah. We are. And not just Point Pleasant Mothman. We're doing the that. The Mothman. But we're doing the Mothman period because I think people don't realize. Yeah. I, I know Point This extends Pleasant, beyond Point yeah, Pleasant. They get the the bulk of it. Well, and, rightfully so. Well, yeah. I'm going to well, say it for whatever. Honestly, I'm going to say this. Yeah. Had the Silver Bridge not collapsed... Mm. Would Point Pleasant have gotten all of the Mothman? I think so. You do? Yeah, there was a lot of press and there was a lot of uh there was a lot of press going on. There was. It there had a was. lot of media attention and we'll get into all that. Oh yeah. So yeah, we're gonna get there. You're so, gonna do basically everything a point everything except Point Pleasant. Correct. And I'm gonna do Point Pleasant. Yes. So my references for this was the book The Mothman Prophecies by John A. Keel. The Case of the Chicago Mothman, which was an NPR article written by Sarah Beacon or Bacon. And then Winged Freak Terrorizes Chicago. Wait till you get a load of these 29 sightings by Joe Vince. How about that? How about that? Yeah. So did you uh, did you recommend would you recommend one of those over any of the, you know, I'm was there one that stood s- out, so to speak? No, honestly, they all three sources were extremely well written and i have to tell you the the two articles 
the NPR article and the article by Joe Vince mm-hmm. were two of the best written. Like there was humor involved. Joe Vince wants the the Chicago Mothman to be Batman in the worst way. Like the very like he's trying so hard. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Like, cool. is he just legitimately coming out and say he wants it to be? Batman or is he it made just, so or... many references because oh, okay. we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah. But it, it extremely well written, very entertaining. And I mean, if you've got just a couple minutes in your day, they're perfect. They hmm. also include pictures and they include video supporting evidence. Cool. So let's start with the history of large birds or men with bird like bat-like wings. Sure. Because that's a good place to start. Yeah. So winged beings have been a part of folklore of every culture. From Babylonia to the pharaohs, sculptors put wings on lions and unidentifiable beasts. Angels in biblical times were not described as being winged, but they appear with um, wings in paintings and sculptures. They appeared like human beings, essentially, and even had supper with Lot. So they look like Castiel on Supernatural. Okay. Sans wings. Mm-hmm. So when demons overran the planet in the Dark Ages, they were described as monstrous entities with bat wings, mm. which I included it because it kind of seems relevant. Yeah. So Mexico has stories of the Icles or Icals which are tiny black men endowed with the power of flight who live in caves and kidnap humans. India has the giant bird known as the Garuda as an important part of their mythology. The gods Vishnu and Krishna traveled around the heavens on the back of a great Garuda. North American Indians have legends of the Thunderbird, which is a huge bird said to carry off children and old people. It was accompanied by loud noises hums, buzzes, and apparently rumbles from the infrastronic and infrasonic and (laughs) ultrasonic levels. Easy for me to say. Also known as the Piazza to the Indians of the Dakotas, it was supposed to have terrifying red eyes and a long tail. Hmm. Interesting, don't you think? Yeah. So, picture it. Brooklyn, New York, 1877 to 1880. Okay. A man in black with wings performed aerial acrobatics over the heads of the crowds of sunbathers at Coney Island, first reported by Mr. W.H. Smith in letters to the New York Sun, September 18th. So that's in Coney Island? Correct. September 18th, 1877. He noted it was not a bird, but a winged human form. The flying man became a sensation, and according to the New York Times, September 12th of 1890. 1880, many reputable persons saw him as he engaged in flying toward New Jersey. He maneuvered at an altitude of about 1,000 feet, sporting bat wings and making swimming-like movements. Witnesses claimed to have seen his face clearly, and he wore a cruel and determined expression. The entire figure was black and stood out against the clear blue sky. Gliders were primitive at this time. And they weren't traveling far, and they usually only went downhill. And he was not towing an advertisement sign behind him. There was not an explanation for this event, like why this guy was there and what he was doing there. So according to the Louisville, Kentucky Courier-Journal, 
July 29, 1880, the winged man was busy in that area too. Two men, C.A. Youngman and Bob Flexner, reported seeing a man surrounded by machinery, which he seemed to be working with his hands. He had wings or fans on his back, which he was flapping desperately so that he could stay aloft, and they watched him flutter unsteadily out of view. In 1905, a titanic white bird fluttered around California. A witness, J.A. Jackson, a well-known resident of Silshi, was headed uh, to the outhouse at 1.30 a.m. on August 2nd when he saw a brilliant light in the sky. It seemed to be attached to a 70-foot airship with wings. The mysterious machine appeared to be propelled by the wings alone, and Rosenfell as the wings flapped like a gigantic bird. The Browley, California News reported on August 4th, 1905, others in the area reported seeing the exact same thing. It's crazy because like 19... I want to say it's 1908 was when the Wright brothers did basically like the first flight with a plane. Well, and that, it's funny you say that because I have a story from 1908. But what I'm getting yeah. at is, is like that was a huge deal. And that thing only went up like five feet, yeah, five, ten feet. Yeah. And went for, what yeah. was it? Like, I can't remember the exact we're gonna, distance. We're going to get there. There's, oh, cool. There's stuff happening. I don't get into the Wright brothers, but well, yeah, I get but into just some as stuff. like an example yeah. of like yep. how amazing that was, and it's just very basic, yeah, flight on this huge, so, wing and it thing. certainly doesn't account for these heights, like that yeah. thousand feet. No, exactly. Yeah, yep. People were doing that in like balloons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So July eleventh, nineteen oh eight, the famous Russian traveler traveler V K Arseniev was trekking along the go. Gobali River noted, and he noted this encounter. I saw a mark on the path very similar to a man's footprint. This is all quotes. Mm -hmm. My dog Alpha bristled up, snarled, and then something rushed about nearby, trampling among the bushes. However, it didn't go away, but stopped nearby, stock still. We had been standing like that for some minutes. Then I stooped, pick up, picked up a stone, and threw it toward the unknown animal. Then something happened that was quite unexpected. I heard the beating of wings. Something large and dark emerged from the fog and flew over the river. A moment later, it disappeared into the dense mist. Dense mist. My dog, badly frightened, pressed itself to, into my feet. Upon after support, after the dude there, Arseniev told the Udehe men about this incident, and they broke into a vivid story about a man who could fly in the air. Hunters often saw his tracks, the tracks that appeared suddenly and vanished suddenly in such a way that they could that could only be possible if the quote-unquote man alighted on the ground, then took off again into the air. Leonardo da Vinci studied birds, and in the 15th century, tried to build a man-powered ornithopter unsuccessfully. Yeah. And many tried also mm -hmm. unsuccessfully. The principle is of propulsion through bird-like movement of wings, but no human has ever been able to make it work. And I mention this because it wasn't until May 2nd, 1962, that a man succeeded in flying under his own power. Mr. John C. Wimpenny flew... 993 yards at an altitude of five feet in a contraption with rigid wings and a pedal-driven propeller at Hatfield, Hertfordshire, England. 
Flying, aside from our feathered friends, is achieved with rigid wings and propulsion, ruling out a dude in a black suit and wings. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, So basically, 1908 was first flight with, like, an actual physical structure other than, like, a balloon that would we would consider, like, an airplane. That Correct. was the Wright brothers. Correct. And now you're saying in the 60s. This was dude had like a. Actual a, like winged apparatus. Correct. But again, the wings were rigid. Yeah. And he had a propeller on it. Again, yeah. probably taking a page from the Wright brothers. Probably. To. Um, or just doing whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So you got all this other stuff. And it's been, and it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. So. Sightings of the winged man seem to coincide with UFO sightings. Witnesses who make eye contact with a UFO suffer a type of eye burn. It's called Klieg conjunctivitis, and it's caused by actinic rays. These are the same rays that tan you at the beach. If you lay in the bright sun without protecting your eyes, you can get conjunctivitis. Eyewitnesses can suffer eye burns, temporary eye damage, even temporary blindness, and those who have looked into the red, sometimes orange eyes, of the Mothman appear to have similar eye reactions, mm. that conjunctivitis. It always seems the eyes it are does. a big thing when they look yeah. at these, what I've kind of called in my notes, this moth or bird-like humanoid. Yes. Because everybody, you know, well, is very distinct on it looking like a humanoid, but... But the number one thing that everyone says, other than the size, yes. is the eyes. Yes. Every single account has that. And turns same... out, to get back to my uh, Chicago article, mm-hmm. they came up with Mothman because Mothman was present in the Batman comics at that time. And really? he became like the inspiration for the name. I love when Batman just comes around <laughs> and just hits it out of the park. <laughs> I mean, I'm just such a huge Batman fan, but. Yeah, yeah. So that gets us to Point Pleasant. Yeah. So Point Pleasant, again, I have to, again, apologize in advance because there's a lot of things I'm going to breeze over. But I think Point, what makes Point Pleasant very interesting is the amount of eyewitness accounts and exposure. Yes. This was by far the largest type of event that was publicized, Mm -hmm. documented, Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it happened in the 60s, the late 60s, and that gave Wasn't the ability. It, like 66, it started in 66 uh, in November. Yeah. was the first actual like witness account yep. reported to the police got, you mm-hmm. know, some exposure. Yeah. It's not to say people haven't seen it before. Right. But that's when it what became... people got to understand is like. If you came out with stuff like UFO sightings and stuff like that, people thought you were crazy. Yeah. And you could become an outcast in a town pretty pretty quick. Well, I mean, it, and, that pretty much held until, I mean, even recently. Well, yeah, even now. Yeah. However, what's interesting with Point Pleasant is everyone there, it, it's a small town. It's like 5,000 yeah. people. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody, mm-hmm. especially downtown. But everybody knows everybody. Everybody's... Yep. Uh, so what you have in those small kind of towns is, and especially then, there was this trust amongst a lot of people. Yeah. And you had a lot of uh, like farmers and hunters from yeah, West it's, Virginia. It's a big community, and and, and they look and out for outside, each other. But yeah. also, people have this trust. Yes. And I think that was a big thing that got this going because people come out with these accounts and they just said, "Well, I trust this person." 
Yeah, I mean, and you've known this person your whole life. Yeah, you've known this person your whole life. You know right. their brothers, you know their yeah. sisters, you know their aunts and uncles and right. grandparents, and and you can attest to them. Exactly. You know, and, so you know the douche canoes and you know the, yeah, the ones that yeah. are. Uh-huh. So basically, Point Pleasant is located in uh, Mason County of West Virginia. Mason uh, County was formed in 1804. During 1774... One of the bloodiest battles ever fought between the Indians and white settlers took place right in Mason County. Mm-hmm. And many claim it to be the first battle of the revolution. Right. That was just the, yep. the big, a catalyst. You know, big thing that got everything started. In 1774, Lord Dunmore and Colonel Andrew Lewis were engaged in battles with Chief Cornstalk. Some say that when Chief Cornstalk died, he uttered a curse for that immediate area to be stricken with hard times and sorrow for what was done to his people. Uh, The curse was rumored to last 200 years. None of this can be confirmed. However, many locals held it as truth. And that's why I'm bringing it up. There's a big story with this. There's a a monument and everything. And I'm blasting right over it to get to this other stuff. But if people, uh, this was a big thing in Point Pleasant, the, the chief cornstalk curse and they blamed it on everything john keel also brought up this but he also brought up the fact that among the native american tribes yeah like each tribe had their plot of land if you will yep. and the entire state of west virginia is listed on the native american map as uninhabited yeah yeah no. Okay. <laughs> Even the Indians didn't want to live there. Yeah. And his whole point was, you know, it does have rich, fertile farmland, good hunting. Yeah. Why wouldn't? Yeah. Well, and that's where I think like these quote unquote curses yeah. are can be a real act of convenience because it's easy to lean towards in a convenience to use a curse when anything goes wrong. Well, you know, anything could go wrong yep. and you could just be, well, it's the cornstalk curse, you know, or it's the, exactly. it you know, does become Boston Red excuse. Sox did it for a long oh, time, yeah. yep. you know, and then now they're winning games and they're like, well, yeah, no, the curse is broken. So it took one game to win and that mm-hmm. broke the curse. You know, I, I'm a little edgy on curses. Well, they do say that a curse can only have power if you believe in it. Well, that's my whole thing with curses. Yes. I think a curse is a poisoning of the mind yes. to convince you that yes. there is a curse. Yes. And you're holding yourself back. Right. I think that's the it's true. It's an act of self-fulfillment. The, yeah, <laughs> and self-destruction. So basically, before I get heavy into this, I got a lot of my stuff from uh, one book. And then I got some other websites I use just to kind of corroborate with the book and verify yeah, and verify but it was a great book it's wait, called wait you actually fact checked yeah yeah it's i whoa that's something i do wow <laughs> it's a rarity i know hey it's, news people yeah. journalists oh uh, no i don't know if you know yeah, but no. there's this thing called fact yeah. checking yeah well <laughs> at&t doesn't uh, own the show either so the uh Basically, the book is Mothman, The Facts Behind the Legend, and it's written, uh, authored by Donnie Sargent Jr. and Jeff Wamsley, and it's a great book. If yes. anyone wants to know more about the Point Pleasant experience, I'll just say, mm-hmm. and what was going on with Point Pleasant. Should we call it an encounter? Well, it's a series of encounters, and it that's is. why like, yeah. I'm really glad we're doing this separate, because there's there is these sightings 
There's a convergence. And then it's weird because this one has so much more detail. Yes. And basically where we have to start at Point Pleasant, again, just to close on the book, the book's great. It's got evidence of interviews, clippings of articles, copies of written statements. Mm -hmm. It's very, very good in that regard. And they're both locally of that area. So they have a very direct attachment to all of this. Yes. And their whole mission of the book was to get all of this factual information in a book. Yes. And then you can make the decision of how you want. And it's very, very convincing. I'll say that. I was so jealous when we got those books in. Yeah. And I looked at mine. And then I looked at yours and I'm like, oh man, yeah. you got like pictures, well, you got news but articles. But that's, <laughs> that's what makes Point Pleasant interesting yeah. is because it has all of this evidence. It does. And it it's credible really evidence. And yes. so basically it starts at what's called the TNT area. And we, you know, this area is about five to six miles north of Point Pleasant. And it's currently a state-owned wildlife management area. The TNT area originally formed during World War II. And many states during World War II were assisting during the war effort through a variety of efforts. Right. And it was just the whole country pulling together to get through mm-hmm. that whole entire period. Yeah. And basically this area was created to manufacture TNT mm-hmm. for explosives and whatnot. The area included many above ground bunkers that would store the TNT and related supplies the above ground bunkers were created in such a way that they would be hidden from like a type of aerial detection. So like yeah, they a, were covered in like dirt and grass. They were covered with earth and grass yep. and they were pretty much like a hundred of them all around the area. Yes. And what they were built in that way where a plane could drive over, you know, fly over and it basically wouldn't look like anything's no, there. It just look like a meadow. Yeah. And especially now with the way things are grown in mm-hmm. currently. And even at that time, cause yeah. you figure it was 20 25 years later. So basically after World War II, the land was eventually sold or leased out to different companies. And then contaminants were eventually discovered in the land and soil. This was a big thing post-war. Right. In a lot of different states, a lot of different areas, because yeah. people were just doing whatever it took yep. to get through. Mm-hmm. And, and it had all these other related costs mm-hmm. uh, that were discovered. So there was an effort by the EPA to clean up the area in the 90s. Many efforts were performed to fill in areas and removal of other areas that were considered, you know, localized and removal of drums, asbestos and various other efforts. Right. And didn't they take out like two, like two feet of topsoil or something? Yeah, it was just a ton of ton of efforts all over. And now it's this uh, wildlife management area. Yep. So November 1966 uh, and just 1960s. In general there. Basically, this was a hangout for people because it was out in the middle of kind of nowhere. Yeah. And it had the dirt roads that dirt roads and it had this. Yeah. Different things. And what people would do is actually come for miles around to hang out. And it became a popular place for people to bring their muscle cars and they do like drag races and stuff like that. And it became a a good spot for that. Mm -hmm. So on November 15th, 1966. This was the date of the first sighting of what was known as the Mothman in Point Pleasant. The two couples were driving around in the same car around 11.30 p.m. It was a clear and cold night when they saw a creature about seven feet tall. It had uh, visible wings, and the tips of those wings were above its shoulders. The creature had a body of a slender, muscular man with arms and legs and was flesh-colored. 
Its wings were a grayish white, and they looked like angel wings. The face was hard to distinguish because of its eyes. Mm -hmm. The witnesses claimed that the eyes just kept consuming their focus on the creature. Yes. Like they would just look away or try to look somewhere, and it just kept going back to the eyes. The headlights of the car shone onto the creature, and it looked directly at them. Yes. And it had one of its wings caught in uh, like a guide wire and was pulling on its wing with its hands. Right. They reported that the hands were very large and that it appeared very scared. It freed its wing and then it ran into the power plant. The witnesses left and proceeded to see it in many places as they head back into town. Yes. Upon leaving the TNT area, it was sitting on a sign. When the headlights shone on the creature, it quickly went up straight into the air. Mm-hmm. It proceeded to follow them, and it hit the top of the car a few times while they were driving at speeds up to 100 miles an hour. Yes. The last place they saw it was sitting on top of a flood wall, and it was crouched down with its arms and its legs and, you know, its wings just tucked against its back, yep. just kind of like crouching. So I couldn't even imagine seeing something like that. No. That would freak me out. Because at it first you're... It would be great. Well, at first you're afraid. Right. And that's what they claimed on this whole thing. And they went to the police station and about a half an hour after the initial sighting, they uh, they weren't even going to call the police. They weren't even going to go to them. Yeah. But the problem was, is it kept following them mm-hmm. as they were leaving out. Right. And then, you know, of course, they didn't believe them at first, thinking they were crazy or on drugs. You got to remember, this is the 60s. Yep. Many people in the town believed the same, but then they started to believe them. And this gets back to the small town where everybody knew each other. And they realized that they weren't drinking, they weren't on drugs, and most of all, they were just scared. Right. They were really, really scared. Now, in a year's time, there were many sightings of what was eventually called the Mothman. There are some estimates of 30 to 40 people that witnessed a sighting of the Mothman. Mm-hmm. Many news reporters and people anxious to get a sight of the Mothman creature started driving to Point Pleasant. Many of the news reporters didn't take the account seriously, and many skeptics claimed it was a Sand Hill crane. Yes. Now, John Keel references this, mm-hmm. and when he was doing his investigations, he took a picture of a Sand Hill crane, and every time he spoke to an eyewitness, yeah. he showed them that picture, and every single, every single one, one of the witnesses said, not said, not even close. That's, no, that's not it. That's the thing. They were just not, not even, even close. close. Yep. And the Sand Hill crane stands at an average of five feet, has gray feathers. A feature of its appearance is bright red flesh uh, area around each eye. And it has an average wingspan of about seven feet. So I could see where they went in this direction. Yes. It's pretty close. but I mean, if you're looking for a logical explanation, well, yeah, that would be the one you would go be, to. You know, where to start. Yeah. And I'm not buying it because of these reasons. Right. Each witness, as you were saying, that came forward seeing the Mothman and saw a picture of the Sand Hill crane said that the crane looks nothing like what they saw. Correct. Number two, these accounts specifically specifically talk about the eyes and the muscular humanoid type body. Yes. Which are both traits that this bird doesn't have. Right. And lastly, the Sandhills uh, crane's wings are built for soaring and gliding, mm-hmm. not speed. Right. So there's n- never been a documented example of a Sandhill crane flying at speeds over 100 miles an hour. Right. So this is where you start chipping away at these things. Mm-hmm. So... Now we have to take this turn because it links with every single Mothman story. Mm-hmm. Now, the first sighting of the Mothman was in November 66. Right. In the spring of 67, 
shortly as all this is going on, mm-hmm. there begins the series of UFO sightings in Mason County. Yes. And these sightings run in parallel with the Mothman sightings. Yes. And many are coming from the TNT area. Yes. So many are witnessing the UFO sightings and they appear as strange lights flying through the sky. These lights are flying both fast and slow without sound. Mm -hmm. Some of these lights were illuminating homes and affecting the electricity of the homes. Mm -hmm. And one witness alleged he stood 10 feet from a UFO and described it as a round ball-like object. It was blocking the traffic lane and he approached the object. It was about 20 feet in diameter and hovering about three to four feet. It had four wheels and in the bottom of the ball was a propeller-like system that was revolving and it made no noise Mm -hmm. at all. It was just sitting there. He stood there a minute and it gently rose and it had no exhaust, no odor or noise and it just went straight up into the sky he watched it for a minute until it just passed right out of sight. Mm-hmm. So during the summer, Point Pleasant becomes just just insane hot spot for people to visit and get a chance at a UFO sighting. Yes. Because the news is bringing it up. Yep. It's getting all over in the press, and yep. they're all just flocking over there. And as many as eight sightings were reported in single nights at times. Mm-hmm. The nights, uh, the objects would vary in color. Some would be just a single red light. Uh, while others would change from red to white, sometimes a little blue, green. And an observer managed to view them through a uh, telescope at one point. And he said that they were definitely not planes, but they were round objects. Mm-hmm. I've also read references to cigar shape. Yeah. And another one is shaped like the the glass enclosure that goes on like an oil lamp. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's weird stuff. Yeah. And, and like I said, this is really just kind of grinding up and grinding up. And, and the thing was, is this wasn't just point pleasant at this time. These objects in the sky were at times spotted in like three nearby counties at the same time. Ohio is a big hot spot too. So it seems. Yeah. But for the UFO sightings, but like the sightings, what you have here is you have a lot of corroboration. Right. And yes. that's what's going on with the sightings. You know, mm-hmm. the Mothman stuff was kind of just a singular thing. And if you could see it at this one moment, but the UFO sightings, there are these lights in the sky. Right. And when you have three nearby counties all at the same time saying, yeah, I saw that. Yes. That's where it starts to become this corroboration and, you know, people start buying into it more. Mm-hmm. The UFOs are starting to get some credence and John Keel arrives again to Point Pleasant. Now, John Keel was a freelance writer from New York who spent his time looking into UFO reports, and he was at Point Pleasant several months earlier when the Mothman was sighted. Mm-hmm. This is where, again, I got to pause to state that the witnesses of these accounts were also considered respectable people of Point Pleasant. Yes. Not just high ranking, but just people that were considered trusted voices in the town. Yes. And uh, John Keel would eventually author and publish The Mothman Prophecies in 1975. Mm -hmm. And the book relates Keel's accounts of his investigations into alleged alleged sightings of large winged creature called Mothman in the vicinity of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, This is during 1966 and 1967. It combines these accounts with his theories about UFOs and various supernatural phenomena. So he was into UFOs just period. And he had. He was he, very open to it, and he referenced a UF, a ufologist, uh, Gray, 
mm-hmm. is the guy's name. And he was, Keel goes into great detail about the UFOs and these winged creatures kind of coinciding, but also like these stories have been around for Oh yeah, but ever. he's he's done many investigations yes. on other places and uh the Mothman the facts behind the legend book. Mm-hmm. The, he was writing with this woman he was staying in contact with yes. and asking for specific instructions like tell everybody where there's uh, this site. These are the things to look for. Mm-hmm. And he had a, this list of things. Mm-hmm. And you're just sitting there like he has this list of things because he's seen them at other sites. You yes. know, he's not just making this crap yes. up. It was a very kind of detailed, yes. strict list. Yes. And again, that's stuff we can't get into this episode because right. it's just too much. So it much. really is. You know, and so the Mothman Prophecies book was the inspiration for the 2002 film of the same name. And that was the one with Richard Gere. Correct. And that was the one I saw that originally got me turned on to this. And I've kind of had a up and down kind of battle with this whole story because like I thought the movie was crazy. Then I realized it was based on a true like account. Yes. And I thought, holy crap, this is nuts. But then like you start reading and learning about the true account and you realize that the movie was nothing like the true, the true account, account. so much. And what burns crazier. me up about it. And it's in this example where it's like, why didn't you just stick to the true accounts? Yeah. Why'd you have to do all this bullshit in the movie? Yeah. And that's where I just go back and forth with with movies on things. It's like, yeah, it's like you had a great story here, and here's the thing: the plot thickens. Could this get any weirder? Yes, yes. and it will. Mm-hmm. We're now going to bring in the accounts of what is known as the Men in Black or MIB. And this isn't like the movie with Will Smith or Again, anything. This is Hollywood got it wrong. Hollywood got it wrong. You know, like even that they could have done this story. They could the Men have. in Black yes. the way this was, and no, they had to do you know sugar. You know, <laughs> so, he's still one of my favorites. Yeah, no, he is. He is good. <laughs> but many in Point Pleasant claim that the Mothman was there to distract everyone from the Men in Black and the UFOs that were in the area at the time. That's what a lot like from this book that yes. I was reading. They were saying basically in the community that the real story is the men in black. Yes. And after reading through it and watching some, you know, documentaries. Yeah. If you want to watch one good documentary, I will plug this one. It's eyes of the Mothman. Yes. That That was a very, it's long. Yes. But it tells you the whole story of chief cornstalk. You get everything. The whole story of the TNT area. Yeah. It tells you everything that we're briefly summarizing here. Yeah, and, and also getting into it's detail. a good overview. Yeah. So they believe it's a distraction. And a few months after the sightings, these men in black started arriving in Point Pleasant. And these people really stuck out. And people had, you know, realized that, again, Point Pleasant has a population of 5,000 people. They know everybody. Everyone knows everybody. So if someone comes in that doesn't mix or, you know. They, they, they said in all of the films we watched yeah. and everything you read. You know the out-of-towners. Yeah, they and I mean, out. but these guys yeah. stuck out like a real sore thumb. Yes, they did. And witnesses after they would have their sightings of the Mothman or UFOs would soon be visited by these mysterious men in black. Yes. And they would arrive at their houses, and they would tell them to say nothing else about the Mothman. And then there was examples of, like, the person answering the door, and they would turn to look for, like, their husband or wife or partner. Yeah. And then they turn back, and they're gone. 
uh, journalist Mary Heyer, who was a very well-respected person in the community. Yes. She was that reporter that reported every story. Yes. And she had a very large connection with people in the town. She was very beloved by everyone she there. And she reported on many of the sightings. And she basically became out of the just... The conduit, yeah. She became the central source of information that was occurring in Point Pleasant. Yes. All of them say that Mary Heyer just knew... Everything. When John Keel came in to do his investigations, everyone told him, if you want to know what's happening in Point Pleasant, you need to talk to Mm -hmm. Mary Heyer. And those two formed a very good relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they would go back and forth. And and then she passed. And there was a lot of mystique around her her passing. passing. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of questions that people had that were unanswered and conspiracy theories and not conspiracy theories, but just theories at that point. But uh, Mary, uh, yeah, she was a central source of information and her reporting also started giving credence to these sightings. And she began to receive calls about these mysterious men in black. Mm -hmm. People around the town are saying, look, I got this crap going on. Do you know anything about it? Right. Mary would soon find out as the men in black paid her a visit Mm -hmm. in January in 1967. She was working in the courthouse in Point Pleasant, and she was visited by a person that was short in stature. He had unusual eyes set behind a a pair of thick glasses. He had long black hair, but it was cut squarely on his head, and she just said he spoke in just like this really peculiar manner. Right. So the strange man questioned Mary about UFO reports, what rights she had to be printing some of these sightings in the paper, He also asked for directions. He continued to creep dangerously close to Mary. Feeling threatened, she quickly called her co-worker and would later confirm the strange nature of the man. So even the co-worker, this is where the the corroboration is pretty crazy. Before Mary could give the man directions, he grabs a pen from her desk, admires it in like this odd way. Yep. And he runs right out of the office, like hysterically laughing. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, the men in black, they wore black suits, black hats, and sunglasses. They drove around these old black cars, but everybody said they were they in like, brand they looked new. brand new. Yep. These were cars that were like from, from the, the 40s, 40s and 50s. 50s, and this is the late 60s, and these cars look brand spanking new. They looked like human beings, but some reports also said their skin was transparent or had like a uh, like an olive complexion. Yes, the olive complexion and the almond eyes. Yeah are pretty consistent. Pretty, very consistent. Yes. And some would say that you could even see the veins in their hands clearly. And they, some would say that their their fingers were longer than a normal person's fingers. Yes. And it seemed like anyone that experienced a, a sighting would receive a visit from the men in black. Yes. This was very, very consistent. Another thing they mentioned was their speech. They were either very yep. good at English as though they were, uh, and they would speak quickly as though they were reciting a rehearsed mm-hmm. script, yeah. if you will, or it was very broken and they were having a very hard time. Oh, with yeah. It. yeah. And they had a very hard time using like common modern, objects, modern common objects. Common objects, and, yeah. And eating apparently was difficult. Yeah. And, and many different people reported these men. Yes. The men in black seemed to be after two things. They seemed to be interested in the people that had seen the Mothman and UFOs and attempting to scare them. Mm-hmm. And these men of olive complexion dressed all in black with these shaded peculiar eyes would continue to show up on doorsteps of both Mothman and UFO witnesses. Many times they would be threatening and rude. 
They were very interested in what locals had witnessed and interested in deterring them from sharing their stories with press and public. Correct. So they're just trying to keep this all quiet. Some of the cases involved men actually trying to force some of the witnesses into cars. Mm-hmm. And people were scared to be encountered by the men in black. Yes. And you hear that theme across. Like, for a while, people were scared of the Mothman, but then they realized, you know, the Mothman could kill us at any time. Right. The Mothman could, you know, so... There was even accounts uh, that were through that. They were like, yeah, I wasn't scared of the Mothman. If he wanted right. to hurt us, he would have hurt us already. Right. The UFOs, kind of the same deal. There are lights in the sky. Right. Nothing's really happening. But in the background, this crap's going on. And the thing was, nobody was reporting it at the time. Right. Some of them even say that the police, she didn't even think the police even knew about it, mm-hmm. which I kind of find crazy. It's a weird deal. This whole thing is weird. It all is, yeah. And just like you were saying, you know, some of them would act very strange and act like they didn't know how to use common objects like pens or kitchen utensils. And they didn't seem to have a grasp of the English language and didn't appear to understand just basic things. Right. Very odd. And people claim that they were awkward also at like shaking hands Mm -hmm. as if like they didn't know what to do or how to even shake hands. Mm Mm-hmm. And many claimed that the men in black entered people's homes. Some were claiming that they were after young children. There's a lot of stories around this. Yes. And then some also claimed that the men in black appeared to be afraid of crucifixes. And there's stories of that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Pretty strange, right? Well, it gets stranger. Yay! Because you don't think it could get stranger. The story of Woodrow Derenberger. And this is a guy who never believed in flying saucers. No, he was just a dude just trying a to regular, get by. He heard about them a few times, read about them in the newspapers at this time, but he never believed in it. He lived in Parkersburg, which was north of Point Pleasant during the Mothman sightings. Yes. I don't know how north, but just north. Enough. We'll do country north, you know. <laughs> so Mr. Derenberger worked as a sewing machine salesman. He worked in different plants of the area, and he was a deacon at his church. This guy's kind of just like the common guy. Yeah, he's just a dude. And again, this gets back to the testimonies of these are people that people trust. Yes. And people just wouldn't think they would. Yeah, and everything I read, nobody had a bad word to say about Woody. No. So Woodrow would experience an event on November 2nd, 1966. Mm -hmm. Now, this would be 14 days before the first Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant that I brought up earlier. Right. He was on a freeway and he sees a flying craft, cigar-shaped, metallic in color, travels right past his truck, blocks the roadway up ahead. Woodrow stops his vehicle and he's alone on the dark road. A being exits the hovering craft and walks right up to his window. Mr. Derenberger describes the being as an ordinary man on the street. He was approximately 35 years of age. He had an olive complexion, dark brown hair, and wearing a long, dark trench coat. The being spoke to Woodrow, but his mouth wouldn't move, and he had a fixed smile on his face. Yes. And he said, roll down your window. I want to talk to you. And this was all done without him moving his lips, uttering no words at all. Woodrow knew what he was asking him, and yet he stood there and his mouth just didn't move. Yeah. He appeared very courteous and friendly. Woodrow told authorities about his 10-minute conversation with a six-foot-tall humanoid. He spoke to him telepathically, and he called himself Indrid Cold. In 
John Keel's book, Indrid actually told Woodrow to go to the police and mm-hmm. tell him about yeah. their conversation and that he would come back. Yeah. And he went home and he was in such a state that his wife told him, go talk to the police. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking to the authorities about this. And then uh, Cold, Indrid Cold tells Woodrow, I sleep, breathe, and bleed e- even as you do. Before returning to his spacecraft, he tells Woodrow, I will see you again. Yes. And he was telling him to go talk to the police. So mm-hmm. over the course of a month that followed this sighting, he was visited by him many times. And supposedly at one point, they even took him on a spaceship and took him to his planet. Yes. And it's called uh, Lanolos. L-A-N-U-L-O-S. Uh, Indrid Cold would appear on highways. He would appear on Woodrow's front door. His wife and children confirm that Indrid Cold was paying regular visits. Yes. You know, this isn't like a a little story he has on the side, like the the wife and kids are coming up through it. It should also be noted that people driving on that same route when they were talking to each other corroborated seeing. No, that's what I'm saying. Like this, this this whole case is fascinating because of the corroboration. Yes. And there was even one case where Woodrow disappeared for six months. Yes. And said that he was with Indrid cold and most members of the family believed this as well. Mm -hmm. Just disappeared for six months. Yeah. I mean, he was a sewing machine salesman and you know, he was probably a traveling salesman. Yeah, but but, you wouldn't be gone for six months. No. And, and most most that knew Derenberger believed his story based on his credibility and his reputation. Even for those that didn't, there was evidence that helped validate his accounts. And like a witness claimed that he was driving along previously in the evening and said that there was a man that fit the description of Edward Cold that was trying to wave him down yep. to stop his car. And he was afraid to stop. There's also corroboration with uh, these encounters. People saw lights in the sky that same time of the first encounter. And there were several witnesses that reported seeing Woodrow himself standing on the highway talking to Indrid Cole. Mm-hmm. There were also people that saw the ship parked on the road. Mm-hmm. And many reports came in of lights uh, emanating from the sky in that same area Derenberger would allege his encounter took place. So it's all right. connected. The police even believed him without question. Yes. And a representative from the Air Force contacts him soon after his account is documented. Mm-hmm. As the encounter gets more attention, attention, even more witnesses come forward. So yep. it's just further corroboration of this. And so what you have now is basically this guy's hanging out with an alien. Yeah. And I can't even imagine what people were thinking in this area in 1967. Because, like, this guy went on TV and got interrogated by the state police Air Force and other authorities of his account. It was on TV. And you yeah. got to understand at that point, this was the whole, like, yeah. it's it's these happy ending s- stories. Everything has a happy ending. Th- it, you know, everything's yeah. all just shiny, happy. It's the Brady Bunch. It's, you know, the Waltons. It's all of this type of stuff. And then you've got this guy coming on the air yeah. after, you know, all this stuff is, you know, and this is when it was starting. And Derenberger would receive many telepathic messages from Ingrid Cold. The messages would come suddenly, and it would leave him with these just terrible migraines, he used to explain. Anonymous phone calls would start plaguing the Derenberger family, and many were threats to stop publicly speaking about his experience. Some calls would be strange beeps and electronic noises, while other calls were 
just nothing but silence. The family changed her number to an unlisted one. The calls still continued. His story gathered so much attention, just like the TNT plant. Curious people would flock to his home and wait to catch a glimpse of a UFO or alien encounter. There would be uh, be there all hours of the night, just camped outside this guy's house. Yeah. There was a story of a couple hunters yep. that were hiding in the woods outside of his house. Wanted to bag an alien. And, well, and they just wanted to see the alien. Yep. They just brought the guns, you know, basically in case things got weird. But they just wanted to see a ship and an alien, and they were bored. And the only thing they saw was this guy that came up in a black car with a black suit. Volkswagen Bug is talk, what yeah, was Volkswagen in Bug. And, and they talked to him and left. So, like, you even got these guys that were poaching outside of his house. Right. And they were like, yeah, no, that's just, you know, it looks like an average, you know, it's not their idea of an alien. Right, you know, the exactly. Whole, the whole and gray in thing. In John Keel's know. book, Woody had, exp- it was apparently Indrid that showed up in that Volkswagen mm-hmm. Bug. Yeah. And Woody was telling him, man, you know, I've had this stomach pain for, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's going on. So Indrid handed him a vial of stuff and he's like, here, take this. And it like took it away instantly. Yeah. yeah no, it's this stuff is it's crazy. So There's crazy. just too yes. much here. And that's yeah. why I was just so excited to do this one. Cause this really just grabs me in all my special spots, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, but I love the corroboration. The corroboration right? is yeah. Intense. The men in black also visited Woodrow at his farm mm-hmm. and he never heard of them. And he thought they were spies. Right. And he was very frightened by the men in black. Yes. Again, everybody was. And I think the part that was strange was that Ingrid Cold said through this whole thing that like he could walk among us, look like us, fit in with us. Mm-hmm. And Woodrow's wife and family come forward with these startling Revelations, they too had witnessed and come in contact with both Inward Cold and other extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. entities. And his wife was terrified. Yes. And the reason she was terrified, she came right out. She said, these beings were much like us. They traveled in everyday cars. They traveled in everyday clothing. Mm -hmm. But they're just not human in origin. Yes. At this time, Woodrow seeks medical attention and agrees to see a psychiatrist. Yes. A lot of it is just shit that's going on yeah, with him, but it, but also it's everyone else, you know, oh, you're crazy or this and that. And and he's just become this kind of model thing because there's nothing else like right. his experience that's going yep. around. And he leaves with a clean bill of health. There's no chemical imbalance or disruption. No tumors. Nothing. They were specifically scanning for that. Yeah. And it, just no, to he's check just a and make sure healthy that guy. he didn't have some sort yeah. of health issue causing him to have no, exactly. quote unquote hallucination. Yeah, yeah. And and he he just comes out perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect health. But his doctor, here's the crazy part. His doctor endures a reaction soon after their meeting. Yes. The psychiatrist is contacted a few months later by who? Ingrid Cold. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. The letters he would write about his experiences would go missing from his locked house. Mm-hmm. It's a sad story, really. Letters he sent to the post office would never make it to their destination. He just felt like he was being watched the whole time. The friends and family would just get this barrage of harassing phone calls, ridicule. It just became embarrassing for all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost a lot of friends as a result of this experience. He had depression, terrible headaches, job loss. And eventually divorced, tore yep. the family apart. He moved away to escape everything, 
and he came back, and then he eventually passed in 1990. And then to kind of wrap all this up, I can't do Point Pleasant without the Silver Bridge. Right. In December of 1967, this is a year, basically, after all all of this this has started. Point Pleasant receives a tragedy that distracts the town from everything, and it's the collapse of the Silver Bridge. The bridge was built in 1927, and it spanned the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. It was at that time a state-of-the-art suspension bridge uh, using what was known as I-bars. Yes. And it was late evening, and 37 vehicles fell into the river. It was the worst road bridge disaster in U.S. history. The U.S. Army pulled 44 bodies from the river, and two other victims were just never found. Correct. And it was just an incredible sad time for the area. I can't even imagine. Right. And And it was right before Christmas. It was, yeah, yeah. And... The town's focus left Mothman. It left the UFOs, the men in black. Right. Like they yep. just had this, they had to heal themselves. They had to fix themselves up. And But again, there's just other stories where there were some people that claimed that they saw the Mothman crouching on the bridge just before it collapsing. Yeah. There was a truck driver that was right in front of the bridge and he said he saw it. There were also people that claimed that they witnessed the men in black near the bridge at the time of the collapse. Yep. None of this was ever verified. John Keel's book, the Mothman Prophecies ultimately connects these stories and various natural phenomena to the collapse of the Silver Bridge across Ohio River on December 15, 1967. Official investigations in 71 determined it was caused by a stress uh, corrosion cracking in an eye bar in the suspension chain. Right. And it just couldn't hold up. Right. They were saying it was actually since it was built. And weren't they saying it was like a two-millimeter yeah, section of rust was enough know. to... Well, here's the thing, too. How the hell did they find it in there? You know, I mean, it's yeah. it just there's so many questions. I mean, do you have some extra things you want to add? or cause... Yes. Oh, okay, go for it. Mothman Chicago. Since 2011, there have been reports of a giant flying winged humanoid Reports peaked in 2017, and despite exhaustive research, interviews with eyewitnesses and cryptozoologists, and a good old-fashioned monster hunt, there's still no answer to the mystery. The creature is being dubbed the Chicago Mothman. It is unknown if the Chicago Mothman is a subspecies of the West Virginia Mothman, the same species, or perhaps a heron that got caught in a garbage bag. There are reports of the Mothman being seen near O'Hare Airport. Mm. Size and shape is between 6 to 10 feet tall with a 10-plus 10, 10 foot wingspan. Species, it's been compared to a big owl, pterosaur, or a bat. The eye color, red, green, yellow, and orange eyes have all been reported. Other reported features, fur, leather-like skin, bat wings, no neck. Possibly confused with the barred owl, a sheet poke, which I don't know what it is, a sandhill crane, a drone costume, or another Chicago cryptid. Behavior. Screaming, flying toward the lake, disappearing, going real fast, portenting, and looking at people. Sightings. In the city, moth folk are spotted all over, though most often by bodies of water. Witness, Anonymous, 821-17, Northerly Island during a solar eclipse. We were watching and observing, this is a quote, as the moon began its transit when we heard a very loud scream. 
This sounded like squeaky truck brakes that squealed when you were pressing hard on them. At first, we thought that's what it was. Maybe a CTA bus or a big truck with brakes that needed changing or maintenance. We heard it again. This time, it lasted about three seconds, where the previous sound was brief. I looked up to see a large object flying low over the docks that stick out to the Burnham Harbor from across the water. This object looked like a uh, large black bat, but also had humanoid features, such as pronounced arms and legs. Witness. Aaron Drain, 817, Westtown Neighborhood, Chicago. I was spending the afternoon on a rooftop, and I saw something in the sky, fairly high up and fairly far away. It wasn't being buffeted about by the wind. It was moving slowly, but not randomly. Witness, quote-unquote, Jeff, 102617, Fulton Market Street, near the corner of Morgan. At first, I thought it was a bird, but none I'd seen before because it was just so huge, and the way it was flapping its wings, the longer I watched it, it was like, what the hell is that thing? It was freaky. As of the second week of August 2017, there were nearly 20 sightings of a large flying humanoid in the Chicago area. According to Lon Stickler, who was tracking the reports via his website, Phantoms and Monsters, and for the Singular Fortean Society, Stickler claims to have encountered a Mothman himself when he was a child in Pennsylvania. He started hearing stories of a winged creature in Chicago in 2011 when he received three reports, and there were 29 sightings thus far in 2017, most occurring near Lake Michigan. May 19, 2017, two giant bats, quote-unquote, are witness performing quote-unquote, aerial maneuvers near Adler Planetarium. June 29th, two police officers and aspiring journalists, quote-unquote, and a group of witnesses see a dark black shadow with wings flying and standing on a building top in the Auburn-Gresham neighborhood. August 2nd, a woman and her son reported seeing a tall, dark humanoid making a sucking and slobbering sound at Indian Boundary Park in suburban Bolingbrook. August 4th, similar sightings are reported the same day, one in Melrose Park, one in River Forest. It's not believed that the Mothman sightings in Chicago are prophesizing bad times for the city, as was the case for Point Pleasant, West Virginia. What gets me is the same exact accounts every single time. Like the, the human human type are, bodies, the descriptions are yeah. just like razor sharp. Yeah, and I uh, I don't know what that's all about. I'm done. Oh, you're done. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the descriptions, the descriptions to me are just amazing. How they're they're so alike. It, yeah, it's really revealing. It really, really is. And this is where I just get frustrated about it. I think we're at a junction now. I think it should have happened a long time ago, but now more than ever, I think we really need to start talking about why UFO sightings are happening Mm -hmm. instead of if they're happening. It's a big change there, you know, because something's in the sky. The big question is, is what? Yeah. Like what, or, you know, if it's, is that really real? You know what I mean? Like, like people have that, you know, it's that funny. bit, you know, so somebody will have something on video. And the problem is, is the reason it has to happen now is because you can easily create anything now yes. with 
graphic design programs and yeah the, you can deep fake videos y- yeah, yeah you know so right now i think it's the perfect time and honestly i think it'd be perfect right now because it'd be the distraction that everyone needs yeah right to get out of all the bs that's swarming all around us right this is something that everybody can have a vested interest in mm-hmm I think the people that freak out and say, well, you know, they could kill us and all that. They, they could have killed us anytime they wanted to. I don't think my, my whole thing is this, and this is a weird bridge for me. Okay. Cause if you were to talk to me three years ago, I would have just been aliens, 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 aliens. I'm not saying it's aliens, but, but it's aliens. aliens. <laughs> and, and I still lean on that a very hard way. Yeah, I really do. John connection. Book, he's saying that he's not calling them extraterrestrials. He's calling them ultra terrestrials, mm-hmm. essentially stating they've been here all along. They've never not been here. That's what I think. I think they've been here or they've been here for a long time. And his whole point was that how they get represented in the culture depends on what's going on in the culture. Yeah. You know, it's goblins. It's dragons. Yeah. It's, you know, it's this Greek myth. But like Woody's wife saying what's scary is, is they can assimilate just like us. Yes. So now you're getting into the they live type movie plot. Yeah. Where, you know, you wear the glasses and you can see who's an alien, who's not. Yeah. That's what I love about Battlestar Galactica. Not the old one, but the newer one. Because it has that really cool thing where it's the Cylons versus the humans. Uh, and then they realize that yeah. they're all mixed and these close people to them were Cylons. And then they, they hop on earth and they get together and just start together. Yes. And they don't believe in Cylons and humans anymore. And, and that's, that's something I remember watching that and that hit me like a sledgehammer mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, if you sidestep the whole religion story. Yeah. And saying that God, quote unquote, created this, which here's the thing, people, shocker, both could be true. Mm-hmm. A God could have created all of this mm-hmm. and then aliens could have came with humans or humans were on here yeah. and, and aliens came and assimilated in. All this stuff can be true. I, I can't stand the whole, well, you either here or you're way over here. Yeah. It's so American thinking. Mm-hmm. It really is. You either got to be way over on this camp or you got to be way over here on that camp. And the whole world does it. But I'm right. just saying it's American thinking because we're basically a two idea type of construct. Correct. Anything more than a third idea that would suggest, well, hey, maybe all of this is right. You know, fuck <laughs> you, get out of here, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> and that's where, like, Battlestar Galactica really woke me up with that. And I was just thinking like, yeah, what if that's how mankind really started? And what if this is all a simulation? Well, yeah. And I was joking with somebody, my, my big thing with the simulation and everybody says, well, you know, if it's a simulation, then God isn't real. It's like, well, what if they built a simulation and they keep everything in order and then everything for you to work in order for you to win in the simulation, you have to believe in something higher than yourself. Yes. What if that's, the cheat code, so to speak, or that's right. the recipe right? that, you know, that's the series of moves you have to mm-hmm. do in the simulation is you have to believe in something that's higher than yourself right? and have that faith. Mm-hmm. What if they bake that into the simulation to right. make everything work? Right. Make morals Baked work. in the cake. Yeah, yeah. Make morals work. Make, 
just friendliness work and, yeah. and make forgiveness work and all of that. Again, two things could be real at yeah. the same time. And I think that's a, we're really at this funny moment in our lives because religion is kind of diving down. People aren't attending church as much. And, and you have science moving up in this, this big direction and it's mm-hmm. answering a lot of questions. We bag science a lot here on the show. You We're big too. fans of science, I but, love science, but we also can straddle the aisle and say, yeah. look, you know, this is something that science is really doing. That's awesome. But this over here is fucking stupid. Exactly. And yes. It, and and I, don't I guess, stand by the stupid. Just yeah. call out the stupid and say, yeah, it's stupid. You can be a science admirer and you can right. love science, but yes. you can also call science on their shit. Exactly. They're not gods. Right. <laughs> you know, that's... And stop wasting money on stupid things oh, that yeah. already have a logical hypothesis or worse, we already know the answer. Yeah, or worse, it's just it, it serves no ultimate purpose exactly. right now. Exactly. Maybe later it will be. But the fact is, is you had this money, you had this support, and, and you chose What's this. What's in our oceans? You, you know. You guys don't care what's in our oceans? Well, and that's what I got to laugh. It's 2021, and you ask anybody, Mm -hmm. they only know about 10% of what's in the ocean. Exactly. 10%. And guess what? 90% of this planet is fucking water. Yeah. Wouldn't you want to know? So we want to know. We know nothing, folks. We know. And, you know, they talk about the, the sea monsters. How do we know? Yeah. How do we know that there isn't, uh, I, you know, I think, you know, something. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of shit floating, floating around. around. No, but yeah. there's a lot of shit floating around commercially in the ocean. Yes. And it would be you would think a matter of time. You know, I here's the thing, though, is like to branch off this topic a little bit to entertain okay. it. Those old drawings of people that are in the ships during like the Napoleonic era and like back from there. And they have these sea monsters that come up. Yeah. That's really relatively been explained by large like squids and octopuses. Yeah. Because those fuckers get big. They do. They get really big. The giant big. squid is enormous. Yeah. And if you're walking around and you had no idea what something like this was. It because would be a sea. information it w- wasn't shared. It would the be Kraken. It would be a fucking sea monster. Yes. That I can buy. That I'm, you know, good with. But, but like this here, this is where my head spins around and I'm like, it's an alien. Or it's a demon, or it's both, or it's yeah. none of the above, you know, or it's, but I think this is where, again, I really think just st- talking about why UFO sightings are happening instead of if they're happening. We yes. need to bridge that gap around and just, I don't care who in government does it. I don't care if it's from another country. I don't care where it is. They need to just come up and be like, I used to make this joke all the time. They got to come up with somebody and they got to be like, this is Bebo. Right. And and we've been hanging out with Bebo for 20 years. He's been helping us out. And we're basically making this public announcement that this is real. This right. is happening. Yes. You know. Because um, no matter how you pump it out, there's going to be fear. And there's going to exactly, be people that yes. lose their minds. So, COVID-19 has been a great example of that, where people just lose, lose their, their freaking minds. So in the last week... I either heard on a podcast or I read it and it was a story about UFOs and it was this guy talking to, I think he was retired Air Force. Yeah. And the guy was like, so what about- He's been around the circuit. what about UFOs? And he goes, oh, I think it's clear. He's like, you know, we've solved it. 
And he's like, well, and the reporter's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I think it's pretty clear that it's us from the future visiting us. <laughs> and the guy's like, so time travel's a thing? <laughs> he's like, you don't just lay that on me and yeah. be like, yeah, no. So this yeah. is it. No, we solved that a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, time travel's a thing because you see all those pictures of uh, who's the dude that's Harry Potter or whatever it is, or is it the guy from Lord of the Rings? Do you ever see those those time time pictures? Well, where they, I like the pictures they show, where they they are trying funny. to say that, uh, like Keanu, and yeah. there's a couple others. They're yeah, like, there's... this dude's been around in history forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, the whole time travel thing is oh, it's incredibly complicated. But definitely the UFO sightings and other beings, they just need to come out with it. They really yeah. need to come out with it. And again, like I said, I think this is the perfect time to come out with it. Yeah. I really do. I think everyone does need a distraction. Everyone needs to kind of take things down a notch on other levels. And this is something that everybody can kind of concentrate on, keep up with, talk about that they all have in common. Right. And they don't have to, it doesn't bring out any of their differences but or anything. I get why they don't. Because look at how we handled a virus. True. No. Look at the reaction that we had to that. If you told everyone. But waiting 20 years isn't going to help. Waiting 30 years isn't going to help. If anything, it's going to be worse. I don't think they're ever going to tell us. So you think that. You think it's just going to be never. I don't think people can handle it. Yeah. And I don't know if people will ever get to a place where they can handle See, that I don't information. Know. I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think people will just be like, oh, okay. Or it's well, the lose their mind. There, if the present situation is any indication, and if they maintain the present course, it is possible that the population could be conditioned to a point where yeah. in the future they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, aliens have been living among us the whole time. And then everyone will be like, yeah, they have. Well, here's where here's where I think it would blow up in a huge way. Bad. Mm-hmm. I think if they came out and said, yes, aliens do exist, basically we're going to let you know who they are. And this is why... This is a tinfoil hat Frank going off. I have no experience, you know, no evidence of this, no nothing. This is just my imagination at work, tinfoil hat style. I wouldn't be surprised if they are here and they're all the people that are in positions of power. That wouldn't surprise me either. And that is why it's quiet. Yeah. Because if everyone found out that the people in positions of power are well, from another planet. Isn't one of the conspiracy theories that is like one. the whole royal family are lizard people and well, they're yeah, not the lizard, actually people yeah, at the l- all? Lizard people, yeah. But there there are a lot of theories that yes. go out that say, you know, like the Rothschilds and yeah. you know, just all of these very high echelon top tier financial powers. John are, Keel's book was stating that there are two things that happen to eyewitnesses to a UFO encounter. They either lose their mind and lose everything mm-hmm. or they have this moment of clarity and all of a sudden they take on the world. They get a whole new job. Yeah. They become. Yeah. They just switch right around. Yeah. Like they go from being, 
you know, uh, a dredge on their family and society to all of a sudden being one of the most high-functioning, highest members of society simply by that one encounter. The one encounter, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And just the Point Pleasant thing just is nuts. It's nuts all the way through it. So you asked me the other day what I thought Mothman That's what I wanted to close with on this. Like, What do you think the actual Mothman is? Because it sounds like with all of these incidences, it starts with the Mothman. It's the Mothman. It's the UFO lights and UFO stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of comes at the same time. They're definitely together. They're definitely together. You can't there, have there's one no, without the other. That's what it seems with a lot of stories, a lot of evidence. Yes. So what do you think the Mothman is? I think. And I don't know works either. You know, it works well. <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't know. Yeah. But I think he could be a distraction. Yeah. Like you get distracted by him so that you don't see what's going it's on misdirection. over here. Correct. Yes, yeah. it is a misdirection. Yeah. Now, and a lot of people think, in Point Pleasant say that. I think it was a coincidence that their Mothman and their UFO sightings all happened to coincide with the bridge collapse. I don't think it was a lot of people a think that prophecy. A lot of saying, pe- "Hey, because Mothman, there's still reports of a Mothman in Chicago, and yeah. that's been since 2011." Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to say, "Well, they do have an exceedingly high crime rate," they've had that. They've well, had that all along. And the thing with, and that's where I brought up Chief Cornstalk's curse. Yes. Because, again, now you have this this whole community that's baked into the idea of a curse. Mm-hmm. And they just already have this idea of there's a curse on their county. There's a curse on right. their town. And everything happens because of this curse. Now, you have people that talk about all of this stuff that I just rattled right. off. They all say that's part of the chief corn, cornstalk curse. But with that bridge coming down, you now have people that are fully kind of enveloped in with the idea of a curse mm-hmm. and then you have this other things come on they can put that curse right voodoo you know whatever whatever you know that yeah that that curse juju stuff on on that right and attach it to the mothman and that's where it's unfortunate that the whole cornstalk curse was there in my opinion but like when we were watching the documentary the one guy said he wouldn't have been able to speak a curse. Yeah. The way he was riddled with bullets, yeah. he would have died instantly. No, and that's, again, that's where I get back to the beginning where my whole thoughts, and you you said it as well, you know, my whole thoughts with the curse is, it's just, it's only as powerful as you get. Correct. A, a curse is built for you. That's it. It's not built for anyone else. Right. It's built for your head and your mind. Correct. And it's like, and in order to give it power, you have to believe it. Yeah. You have to believe you were cursed. That's like my personal thoughts on being a victim. Yes. I think you're a victim if you believe you are. Yes. It's that simple. Yes. Because you hear other people that just say, well, I was there at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. That's a whole nother way of thinking about it. If it wasn't personal, it wasn't anything against me as a person or whatever. And I'm just saying anything, whether I got hit by a car or I got shot or, you know, just got punched by somebody yes. or I lost my job. 
or, you know, just anything. By I definition, could, I should have, I would have been classified as a victim when I, because the whole reason I left my ex yeah. was because he was abusive. Yeah. Physically and yeah. emotionally. No, but you have a, you have a choice there. And whether I did. you could be I a victim or not. I took the choice to be like, no, because you know what? I could have left at any time mm-hmm. and I ultimately did leave. Yeah. I left of my own accord. Yeah. And, you know, it enough. It, eventually you get to a point where enough is enough. Yeah. And you're just not going to take it anymore. Well, but I look at those, both those ideas have the same power attributes. Correct. I'm going to video game it, basically. They both have the same power attributes affecting just your character. Being a victim or believing in a curse, that's that's only going to hurt your character in your video game. It's not going to hurt the surrounding characters. No. It doesn't have the mana for that. <laughs> it just doesn't, you know. Yeah. And and you can spread that story to other people, but again, they have to they have, they have to, to buy into it. Buy into that and yep. subscribe it and then here's going to be the same language again. You're bringing the invitation of that in. Yes. The invitation's there and you're walking right into it. Just like a vampire. And that's where they have to be invited. And that's where I could flip the switch on this in a religious way. This all could be a demon type of force. You want my full tinfoil hat? Go for it. Lay it on me, girl. I think that the Mothman is just another type of alien. Just like the men in black. Just like the alien grace. And I think that's why they're all interconnected. Yeah. I think that's why you can't have one without the other. Yeah. I mean, and this is where the stories could go on forever. I thought of this idea. Maybe we are an alien zoo. And like, this is... Like Earth is just an alien zoo where they're like, oh, look at, I've look at about, these people we have here. I thought about that all the time. Yeah, you know, I also we're look at it on display. I also look at it as we're a potential idea of basically, or we could be a penal colony. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't <laughs> know about that. They take the rejects you know. from the universe. Yeah, and they no. just dump them here on Earth. No, exactly. You know, we we could be that. I've I've thought about Enter that. Enter the chupacabra. I've also thought of the <laughs> idea of where, you know, they looked at a planet and they're trying to uh, terraform it terraform it, and we're mm-hmm. kind of this terraform idea. We're just an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. We could just be something growing in their fridge. Yeah. Maybe, you know, we could be on the end of someone's elbow, you know, in another, <laughs> you know, galaxy, you know, or universe, multiverse. <laughs> Those leftovers that are just like growing yeah. weird stuff. Oh, that, That's like, us. That fuzz. Yeah. On, like, we're the fuzz. Know, that fuzz on top of freezer burn. Fuzz. You know, yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah. yo, man, we've been here all along. <laughs> you guys yeah. are the disease. The idea, and this goes back to Skinwalker Ranch, oh. you know, where you might have this rip in time. In time and space. In yeah. space. And, and then you look at, like the Mothman, where the the Mothman's going around, and it's just something that kind of flew loose in the it's in the possible. highway in the highway system, yeah. you know, or you know, there's what if all those places that they're calling the gateways to hell? What if those are all like portals yeah. into another time, another space, or stargates? Another... <laughs> all right, guys. So to be clear. <laughs> Whenever you're watching a movie, 
or a television show or a documentary and something gets weird or you're like, what? How is this even possible? If you're watching it with Frank, the immediate answer is going to be Stargate. It's a default answer. Every time. It's a default. Yeah. You could you could bet the house and win every single time. But what you don't understand, <laughs> well, you probably understand because you're around my craziness enough. That's what gets me started. Like I, I, that's like my, it's all plausible. No, but it's my base hit in my, yeah. in my game, in my mind. Like I what have, if I'm like, Stonehenge right. is a star game. It could be. No. Yeah. It's, it's weird how we're in this time today. You know, I, I think we just need to start having discussions on it. I really do. I, yes. I think. And let's be clear. The only way. And I think it's happening by the way. I really do. I yes. think that, I think the Skinwalker Ranch stuff. Yeah. I think, um, you are seeing a resurgence a resurgence of this story coming up the pentagon is actually at one point they were releasing information they're yeah. like hey yeah you know what we have video footage a couple a couple years ago contact. they were a you couple know, years we, ago we, they were talking about we it we do have this evidence yeah and yeah and i mean let's be honest it the reason they're called unidentified flying objects is because they're unknown to us at this time we don't know what yeah it is, or we don't know the mechanism but by I which think, it happens. I think this, and this is kind of my closing idea with it. Mm-hmm. I think if we do go in that direction, which I think we are, I think we are going in that direction. Like I said, with the Skinwalker Ranch, these types of stories, I think they're going to start coming out, and then they're going to have evidence of this other stuff that's going to just like, oh, so that's what went on. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be that type of a deal. But I think either way, how it's going to be done is going to change everyone's life forever. That I guarantee. Mm-hmm. I guarantee the moment we know about this, things are going to change. Yes. I bet there's probably a way where they're going to talk about like interstellar travel or travel around. Because, I mean, you look at even just this space race to get to Mars and the whole thing with the moon and all that. Yeah. You think about it. Back in the late 60s, they landed on the moon, right? Late Correct. 60s, early 70s? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mid. It was like yeah. mid to late sixties. They made but several. They, but they tracks. haven't been there since. since. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's this vested interest to get on the moon. And it's not just us. It's China. Yeah. It's it's Russia. Well, and also, let's be honest, the focus went from okay, yeah, we were at the moon. Let's go to Mars. Well, no, but like the moon's become this big pivotal thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but I think the way exploration was is you put a flag there. It's yours, right? <laughs> so we did that a while back, but I could be wrong. I'm not an expert on that. I'll have to talk so, to So the U.S. owns the moon, y'all. I'll have we to, got our flag. I'll have to talk to an I'm interstellar attorney. You know, I'll have to talk to an interstellar. I don't know inter- what, the, what the statute of limitations is I don't know what the legalities there. are. Yeah, but, but, but the mean, fact is, is there's this interest. Correct. Into the moon that was supposedly not worth anything, not worth the time, not worth anything. Now it's interest. Why? There's really no question. There's no answer to that. No. And then the whole thing with Mars, I mean, I kind of get it. It's just, it's that, like, that's one thing that, like, Elon Musk does that I think is pretty cool. Like, he's after that thing that's larger than life. Mm-hmm. And the idea that's larger than life. And getting on Mars, is that's a pretty cool thing to shoot for. Especially yeah. when you're a multi-billionaire. Billionaire. 
What what and else? You got is money there? just burning a hole in your pocket. Well, he's got other people's money burning a hole in his pocket. Not you know. Yeah, yeah, but, he does. But this isn't a finance show. No, so it's not. The uh, <laughs> but but basically, yeah. My million dollar question is: is just the why? Why is there this sudden interest? I mean, like during the Bush uh, Junior, that there was that attraction to Mars mm-hmm. again, and that's when the first rover yep. landed in through there. So I can't say that there's been absolutely nothing, but now it just seems like more than ever, there's this interest out in space and, and specifically the moon Again. and Mars. And my, my tinfoil hat says that that's related to these unidentified flying object and humanoid contacts that this entity around us has dealt with and we're not privy to. And I think that's going to create a situation where our lives are going to change. I would imagine if that bus open and they start landing on Mars mm-hmm. and they've got shit set up on the moon, then we're going to hear the statement of, hey, here's Bebo. And, you know, he's been hanging out with us the last 10 years and we're getting set up for this. Right. And then your family, you know, a family will start up and then their kids might have the possibility of being like a minor on Mars. Mm-hmm. And that'll fuel this other thing. You know, I think, I think things are going to get really weird in the next possible 10 to 20 years. That's my estimate on it. And again, no evidence, no nothing. It's just bullshit pouring out of my mouth. But you just look at all this stuff. It's like, why, why do it? What's the point? What's the return on it? I look at that from a person who gets kind of how money works. And I get how these guys got a lot of money. They can toss at stuff. But a lot of them are, I need a return on this money. Yeah. So where's the return? You want to hear my theory? Go for it. That's what because we're here for. Because they know more about space than they knew about than they know about the oceans. Yeah. What if? Mm-hmm. What if the UFOs and the aliens are in the ocean? Oh, I think there's shit down there. Yeah. I think there's a reason. No, I think they And I think that's I think why they do know. they're directing us. To yeah. space. Oh, hey, guys, yeah. we're going to go back no, to the moon. I'll go this far. I think they do know it's down there. Mm-hmm. I think, and yeah. either what's down there is scary as fuck. Yeah. Or it's just nothing to worry about. But Right. But I just find it impossible that we have a photo of every square inch of this planet. We have a little tag on every goddamn animal. Every little bird has a little fucking tag tracking on its device. foot and tracking yeah. device. But yet you don't know a damn fucking thing about the water, you know, the oceans and the depths down there. Yeah. And you know what the answer is? Well, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've lost planes. Yeah. 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 Planes just mm-hmm. fucking disappear. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's weird. And we could go on this forever, but we can't. No, we can't. <laughs> so thanks for uh, thanks for dealing with us. Thanks and, for going uh, on Mr. Toad's wild ride. Definitely. Hey. If you guys have a theory, yes, where should they submit it, Frank? They can submit it to our email at oth at seriouslydecent.com, or you can join us at our Facebook group, Oh The Horror Podcast, and just toss your idea right out there. Yeah. And uh, see, let's we'd love see if to it hear. gets some traction. We'd love to hear what the different ideas are. But if you're uh, definitely a private and you want to stay anonymous, email us at oth 
at seriouslydecent.com. If you want us to claim credit for your uh, <laughs> for your idea, we can yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, or if you just think of a really cool pseudo name that you want to use, you know, that's just, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, and we'll just call you that forever. But uh, what do we got next week? We have the Wendigo. I know. Yeah. This is uh yeah. This is a good thing for me because I'm not uh I'm not very polished on the Wendigo. Oh. I mean I can hold my own in a conversation about it, but oh. I can't wait to dive deeper and and get yeah. into the whole the whole story and lore of it. Yeah, turns out it's gonna be fun. And hey, for our Canadian friends, yeah, you guys, you guys have some Wendigo stories. They really do. Like and here's the thing: if you do want to, you're cornering the market on the Wendigo, and I don't think that's entirely fair. Dear Canada, if you'd like to give us some information and leads, please feel free and email us. You got a good Wendigo story? Share it at (laughs) oth seriouslydecent.com. Uh, but no, thanks. Thanks again for sticking with us, and thanks again for for listening to us. Uh, as always, we'd love it if you could spread the word through us we don't do yep. uh we don't do social media ad campaigns or anything we've been pretty uh pretty quiet we're just looking to get everything polished the way we how want far we can go before we have to just by word of mouth yeah and so far word of mouth has been awesome for us and yeah, we can't so, thank you enough and if you've told everybody you know thanks a lot you're an all-star so greatly appreciated you're hey, a horror fanatic and we exactly. love you exactly yes yes and uh, no, but we see them trickle in, and especially through Facebook, we see some some people add friends into the group, and we approve them. And we're, we just thank you so much for spreading the word. Yeah, absolutely. We're having such a blast with this, and uh, and we hope you're having fun with it as well. And if anything, we can just take you away from the everyday uh, strife yes. and the everyday nonsense. Let that's, us be your little escape. That's truly the Sometimes goal. Sometimes we'll podcast. take you back to the dark ages. Yeah. Sometimes we'll talk about some stuff in the sixties, cool man. It's all great, man. It was a different time then, man. It was way different. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so have a uh, have a great day. Have a great week. And as always, make good choices. Take care. <laughs>